The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. And welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the High Low Sports Podcast. We appreciate you all joining us here on this Wednesday evening, or if you're checking us out on one of your favorite places to catch podcasts later on. Either way, we are glad to have you join us for a nice, fun conversation about everything going on in the world of sports today. It is DJ joined, as always, by my co-host, Kelsey. And you know what, Kelsey? This is the first time in a while we kind of have our a traditional show back. We've been doing the NFL previews and lead-ups last month and a half or so. Now we're kind of back on the normal grind, bouncing back from week one as well as week two, I guess, in college football. Week 1.75, however you want to break it down as well. So week we got three. A I mean, yeah. Uh, week point dot, however, depends who you talk to. <laughs> No, yeah, it's 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 good to be finally have a have another episode again like this. Uh, got a lot to talk about. There's a lot that's happened in the last two to three weeks. I mean, especially just this last Sunday alone. Um, I mean, even Monday night, I guess you can include as well. But no, it is uh, it's interesting, right? Like we haven't we haven't done an episode like this in a minute, so you're almost like remembering like, oh man, I actually have to like, uh, I gotta I gotta do things on the fly. I don't have a list to look at. I, it's it's a lot of fun. Actually, I do enjoy the, going back to these episodes rather than where we you know, have everything preloaded sometimes. But then again, I do kind of like having a list to go off of so I don't say too many stupid things. Well, hold on. There's still plenty of time. We still have plenty of time for you to let's not break the streak now. Let's not get you let's not get you out of your comfort zone now. But you mentioned Monday night, and I think that's a good way. We're gonna leap right into the first because we got a lot to talk about. That's gonna take us into our first segment known as the tip off. The tip off, of course, brought to you by friends at SeatGeek. Use code belly up sports for twenty dollars off your first order. Get yourself some high quality seats to a high quality event, whether it's a concert, sporting event or literally anything that sells tickets, go and check out SeatGeek. So you mentioned Monday night, the entire sports world with a deep sigh of pain and uncomfortability mm -hmm. is Aaron Rodgers, four plays, 75 seconds into his New York Jets tenure with a very unfortunate Achilles pop, rupturing his Achilles, and he is going to be out for the season now. And first of all, condolences to Jets fans, because you know as well as Jets fans know as well as anybody that how painful that can be, considering they've been cursed since 1969 now, I believe so unfortunate really unfortunate for that and on top of that too i won't say their season's done but where they were a week ago and where they are now the trajectory let's just say vegas changed their betting odds from seventh best to like 22nd best that's all you really need to know so my first reaction for this was no matter what you think of aaron Rodgers, this absolutely sucks you never want to see someone go out like that especially new team new face fresh start we joked about it aaron Rodgers is the first human in the history of the world to move to new jersey and become cooler and more likable and unfortunately, he doesn't even get a full more doesn't even get 80 seconds, doesn't even get two full minutes into his tenure before he's out. But I'll go and start with you. First reaction when you see this as well. Like what what was your thoughts as we watched that? What looked like maybe, oh, he'll be fine to oh God, no, that's not good. That's a cart. He's done. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of mentioned it during the the broadcast after we started looking at it after a little bit. I almost wondered if it maybe was the Achilles just because of the way he was walking and like how he reacted to everything. But then it almost seemed too good to be true, right? Like, there's no way that this dude was not reacting to an Achilles tendon tear. Like, this has just got to be a tweak. He's just got to be playing it safe. Maybe he just wants to, you know, be Aaron Rodgers and and just make a dramatic moment for Zach Wilson to come in and throw a touchdown pass and then come back in. Aaron Rodgers saved the day. And then it turned quickly into, oh, no, this is for real. Like, this dude is getting carted out of the tent into the back. And he is not putting any weight on that leg. That's not good. And then you see the replays and more of the replays. And then you see the slow-mo replays. And that was the moment I saw one of the slow-mo replays on social media. 
uh, that was the, like the moment I was like, mm, this is not, I don't even see the MRI. I, I know this is not going to be good. I mean, I'm sure our friend, uh, Dr. Brian Scott, he'd have a, a few things that could, he could tell us that like, you know, directed towards exactly what happened. But yeah, this is, it's a sad situation. You're exactly right. I think this is the first time anybody's ever moved to New Jersey and they've gotten more likable, uh, especially a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who's been very much in the, in the, in the camera's eye for a, quite a while um, and then moved to New York. And it's almost like he got into a bigger fishbowl so he didn't have to worry about it as much. Um, so it was, it's very interesting to see what the Jets are going to do going forward. But I do think from like a standpoint of Aaron Rodgers' success or his, I mean, legacy, I guess you'd say, it does kind of take a hit from this. This, this does suck in that way um, because, you, I mean, this team was win now. This team was ready to go. Uh, still, still won the game without him, but at what? Yeah, he's like, you know, you won the game, but like at what cost? Like you won the battle, but at what cost? You, I mean, is it going to cost you the war? Because it looks like it um, from the Jets' standpoint. So yeah, it's a, it's a tough situation to see all around. Forty years old, Achilles tear. Do you think there's a chance he comes back? I mean, it was early in the season too, so if he, there is plenty of the recovery time. The question is, you don't injuries don't get easier to recover from as you get older necessarily. But do you think there's a chance he could bounce back and play next season, or do you think this might be this might be the swan song? I I don't ever rule Aaron Rodgers out. I watched this dude come back from the broken leg to lead a Hall of Fame career. I mean, let's let's not kid ourselves about what he's been able to do against injuries. I watched this man come out in the second half of a game with a uh, crack in his kneecap and and play and and, and play play through the rest of a game and win it. Um, granted, it was against the Bears uh, in that game, but still. I mean, this dude has played some of the most impressive injury football I've ever seen. I don't want to ever count him out, but it's a te- it, it, it's a haul. I mean, everybody that I've I've known that has had an Achilles tear, it's a year and a half for the, just the average Joe, um, under the age of forty. <laughs> I mean, like it's a, you know over the age of forty or at forty. I don't know, man. I don't know when you can or if you can, and I I hope he does. I, I really do hope he does come back next year. But I do think if he comes back next year, it's going to be. No, no, no preseason, no anything like that. Just straight, like, all right, I'm here for the season. And go figure the one time he actually plays preseason football is the last time we're going to see him. It might be the last time we see him in the Jets jersey, um, you know, before the horrific game that he obviously gets injured. So I will say if he does come back, which I do anticipate he will, I think he'll be, he'll come back mostly fine. I mean, he is. Elite athletes, Achilles, they're starting to recover. It's like the ACLs. It used to be like three years or your career's over, and now suddenly they brush it off, and th- th- sometimes it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, we saw Cam Akers a couple of years ago. His Achilles explodes, and he's playing in the Super Bowl. Doesn't yeah, but that's 22-year-old Cam Akers, not 40-year-old Aaron Rodgers. That's also running back, not quarterback, which is going to be my next that's thought, fair. too. Is Aaron Rodgers definitely is not going to be Josh Allen or preseason Zach Wilson out there anymore. He might, be, he might end up like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady when he comes back or a lot more cognizant and not be looking to move but regardless of what happens jets you look at that offensive line outside of elijah vera tucker you got some work to do no more cup blocks because clearly that even when they have to said like cup blocks are for basically screens or dumping off quickly not don't be doing on just your traditional slant flat play because if the slant's covered you're stuck in no man's land like we saw there so gets you have that i mean use that on an offensive tackle by any means necessary I will say this about cut blocking. Cut blocking has been something they've been trying, like most of the league has been phasing out anyways. Most of the offensive coordinators have been trying to push that out of the game anyways. I mean, you talk about on slant, slant flat concepts. Honestly, there's two, two coaches I know of that do it. 
Jets OC and uh, Kyle Shanahan. Those are the only two I can think of that do it regularly. Shanahan does not do it on one side of the ball, or one side of the field, though, uh, or one side of the offensive line, and that's just because Trent Williams refuses to do cut blocks. So, um, yeah, from the from from the outside looking in, you have out of the 32 teams, you have 30 of them that pretty much have phased out cut blocks on a general concept, and then even you know screens in that. Most of them still don't approve it. They'll, they'd rather you a lay block than than a cut block in most cases. So, um, and and obviously. A lot has been made out of the fact, yes, he Aaron Rodgers has come out and said, I don't like cut blocks on short passing concepts because sometimes I like to extend a play. But at the same time, a concept is drawn up a certain way because they expect certain things to happen. And if it doesn't happen, they give you an alternative, and that is, hey, don't take the sack. Get down. Give yourself up. Don't get injured. The Eli Manning of all things. Like, you know, play possum. Like, just go down. It's okay. Um, and because it's to avoid injuries like this. So, yeah, while there's a lot being made about the cut block, it's, I think, a little blown out of proportion in a lot of ways just because he know he knew the play was called. He knew what was expected. Obviously, nobody expects to get injured. But he knew the expectations and what needed to happen and it, what needed to happen if that wasn't there. And let's be honest, every athlete knows the risks of not following the instructions on a play. Not fo- Like, what happens if you don't? tackle properly like what happens if you don't do this properly like there's always an injury possibility so it you know while the cut block may be an issue that's a whole different conversation it's not the only thing to blame for this injury i mean this is a lot of aaron Rodgers trying to improv when there wasn't there was nothing to improv which has been part of his career bugaboo in a lot of ways so i still stand by it. you got your first round pick go use that on a tackle go use that on a guard because that offensive line outside of elijah bear tucker has been well, it's been an Olay block for sure. It's definitely been Olay in the last couple of years too. So go, oh yeah, go get, go fortify that offensive line. Mekti back on it. Right tackle should be fine. Get a left tackle. Get a left guard. Like fortify that yeah, thing. Don't put, him in a cut, don't put them in cut situations. Don't don't make your don't make your tackles cut. It's that simple. If you're that worried about your O line where you want to do cuts, don't uh, don't worry about that as well too. And uh, honestly, Jason, uh, we have a comment here from Jason who wanted to know how much you enjoy watching America's team get down with the Chargers and. we'll be talking about them coming up. We got some words about the Dolphins coming up. I can assure you of that one as well, too, in our main event segment. So I will say that was definitely the game of the week. I think it's safe to say as well. So I think that one took the game of the week. There was, there was the real America's team there, Jason, that, uh, that did a, did a nice little stomping in, in this one. So we'll, we'll, we'll see, but I said, yeah, it's not assault of the week. Hey, hey, I mean, he said America's team is all I'm talking about. I don't care about the game of the week part of it. It's just America's team part of it. I'm just kidding. I honestly never have called the Cowboys that until this very moment. Even as a Cowboys fan, I still never called them that. Honestly, if, if the, honestly, we probably should have kicked you out of the stream just for calling them America's team. But that's going to move us. Hey, to this is this is why I produce. You you do the talking. This is why we'll go on to the next part too. Where with the Jets now, you know Aaron Rodgers. The question is, what comes next? Do we have? Do they have a plan B? Robert Sala said Zach Wilson is our guy, but. We'll, we'll we'll see about we'll see about that. I will we'll My question to you is: Do you roll with Zach Wilson, or do you end up looking for? Do you end up going out on the market and see if there's somebody else you could bring into? If nothing else, back him up. And if he, if let's say Zach Wilson starts tingling in the pocket a little bit, there where you kind of swat, where you have some another option to go to. I'm glad we worded that in Plan B reference here for the Jets because uh, Jason right here, man, <laughs> come on. But no, uh, yeah, no, I mean, look, let's, let's first of all get this 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 conversation out of the way of all these quarterbacks they've talked to like all these older quarterbacks, veteran quarterbacks, whatever you want to call them. Um, 
36-year-old Colin Kaepernick pops up on the list every year. Uh, I'm sorry. It's not nothing. This is nothing against Colin Kaepernick. This is the fact he's 36 and hasn't played in six seasons. Sorry, 37 seasons? I think it's seven now because I think it's 2016. So he hasn't played in seven seasons. I have nothing against him. I thought he should have had a job shortly after he got cut. He was still better than a lot of backups. Still better than Cooper Rush, potentially. But I'm not, that's not what we're here. We're talking about starting quarterback for the New York Jets, a team that needs to go to Super Bowl. There are a few guys on the list of, of older people that I, I am kind of interested about. Matt Ryan being one of them. I know he's not technically retired, but retired. But at the same time, maybe he's not retired for this situation. Like, this is a very interesting situation for him to go to. Um, didn't hate that one for as much. But, like, Nick Foles, no. Cam Newton for the Jets, no. I'd rather stick with Zach Wilson. Like, realistically, going down this list, I think, I honestly, Matt Ryan was kind of like like, like the one I'm like, all right. Like, I don't hate that one of free agents. Um, obviously, there was a conversation somebody had of Tom Brady, but by the way, he can't because of NFL bylaws because he owns part of the Raiders now. So, le- legally, he can't unless he divests his interest first, in which case you still have to wait another six weeks from divesture. Um, so, yeah, it's a whole issue there. I, I mean, I don't really... I think their best option is they're going to go do something and try to bring somebody in, go send a fourth, fifth round pick for a quarterback from somebody else. Um, maybe look at the Cowboys with who just brought in Trey Lance. Maybe you try to make a move for Dak, or maybe you try to make a move for Cooper Rush. Like, just bring something in to not necessarily take Zach Wilson's job, but to compete with Zach Wilson, because it's obvious that c- competing with Zach Wilson improved Zach Wilson. So bring somebody in that can compete with him. And I think you get the best out of Zach Wilson. And I think you get the best out for the Jets going forward. I don't think it's necessarily a look to replace. I think it's a look to compete with Zach Wilson. I think that's what they need to do for a quarterback situation. I'll say I am in agreement there. I think they should let Zach Wilson take it. Basically, this is your job to lose again right now. Like, this is why we kept you. You're the backup. You, Aaron Rodgers, who comes back, should we, in theory, think will be a bit of a mentor. And, we do have we do have one here is Colt McCoy. That is definitely an option as well, too. A couple of options I, I was thinking of is maybe if they're gonna go look for trades, maybe just look down the stream, go to Washington, look at Jacoby Brissett if he see if he's available. Yeah. That man can game manage as well as any of them, and he can move a little bit. So behind the offensive line, he's got a little bit of mobility, even though he still ran a 540, but he outruns defensive ends on a weekly basis. Makes no sense. Cooper Rush, obviously a good option. Gardner Minshew, maybe from Indianapolis. That could be something they look into as well. It's a very so, like none of these guys are going to be like, oh, Super Bowl back on the Super Bowl's back on the menu, boys. But it's a maybe we get in the playoffs and anything can happen. Maybe we turn into that big of a defensive run the ball team. I still think Jacoby Brissett would be the first team I'd call though. I'd be like Washington. How about a fourth? How about a fourth and a conditional third, something like that? Just let him sit. Let him sit behind. Let him kind of wait behind Zach Wilson as Zach Wilson starts pooping the bed. Bring in Jacoby. If nothing else, you, you just have another body too, because no matter what, you need another body in the quarterback room and, and, and the Jets going back into their holes. And ironically, too, we talked about it in our preseason prediction. The question was about health for the Dolphins, and then the Jets were the ones that kind of unfortunately had the injury bug strike them right away as well. But for me, I think Kobe Brissett for the Jets, that should be their first and their major call. That should be the, I think that's the best option for them because Carson yeah. Wentz, eh, the guys you mentioned at the same time. Matt Ryan would be nice if you could protect him. We saw last year he's yeah. not electric sliding even one inch of a blade of grass anymore. So if you can keep him upright, that's great. All the other guys, good luck. Like Nick Foles, yeah. Like, unless no walking through that door, I guess. But like, I there's not no, a lot I, of out there. 
there's one guy that's out on the free agent market that I'm really intrigued by, and I've been intrigued by him since he was a Virginia player um, at, at University of Virginia, and that's Bryce Perkins. Uh, longtime backup for the uh, Rams as well, for the Chargers, and didn't really do a whole lot. And, but he has a really unique skill set. It's very Aaron Rodgers-esque in the fact he throws a great ball, but he has legitimate athleticism. And it's very Aaron Rodgers-esque in that. He does have some accuracy issues, but Zach Wilson has those accuracy issues anyway. So I think you bring in somebody like Bryce Perkins. He's a great prototype to, to run their offense. And worst case scenario, you have a backup. Best case scenario, you push Zach Wilson forward. And and the absolute best scenario, you found a, a diamond in the rough in Bryce Perkins, and he's now running your offense, and you Nick Foles it all the way to, to the, the Super Bowl. I mean... That's the absolute best case scenario, but like the more realistic realistic one here is that him and Zach Wilson compete and Zach Wilson becomes better and you have a very capable backup in Bryce Perkins. And it's a guy that not, not a lot of players, not a lot of people probably even think about as a potential option, but there's something to be said about these longtime backups. And then I'd even like Chase Daniel for that reason. Like not a bad idea to bring him in just to educate the young buck. I mean, the, let's see, Chase Daniel's been back up to Drew Brees, Alex Smith for a year. Um, Patrick Mahomes for a year, I believe. Uh, and then Justin Herbert for a couple of years. Yeah, Justin Herbert. Like some of the best names in quarterbacking in the last decade, he's sat behind for quite a long time in his career. And granted, he never got an opportunity, but it is what it is at the end of the day. I mean, like you don't always get the opportunity, but he knows football. He knows enough to be on a roster. He knows enough to back up some of the greats. So coaches believe in him. So I don't know. Chase Daniel might be a consideration as well. Whatever they decide to do, all you got to do is get the ball to number 20 and 33 and 17. That, that's yeah. kind of your primary goal. Two of those guys you hand it off to 98% of the time. So, and just I'd also throw, throw Lazard in there with 10. So, yeah, he can get, he gets like 2%. We're talking like 98% of the shares are going to those three. He, well, him he, had and more yards. he had more yards than Garrett Wilson in the last game. Yeah, but Garrett Wilson's touchdown at the same time, like game changing play. And that was off oh, of seven completions all game. And that's also us saying that as we had bets on Garrett Wilson for more yards, so a little sour there at the same time. 12 more yards. 12 more yards, and I win a lot of money. I'm blaming Zach for not throwing it to Wilson on that one. But we can go on with this one all day, but we definitely got a little bit more to get into. We're going to head now to the college ranks, and a lot of pretty good games over the last weekend, but arguably the biggest one, Texas taking on Alabama. And Texas and what ended up being a really good game down the stretch, too. At first it looked a little uneven, then Alabama came storming back, but Texas able to hold on late. For the upset victory, number 11 over number three, the question now is, for the 800th time since Sam Ellinger said it obnoxiously at the, end of, at the end of a bowl game, is Texas back again? Maybe. Kind of. Really good win. I think Quinn Ewers had a nice little coming out party. I think he kind of put himself in that echelon of first-round quarterbacks coming up this next year. Kind of showed, too, that he wasn't just the guy that couldn't get the job at Ohio State. Show, showed what he's made of. And I think Texas... Definitely a Big Twelve, one of the top two things for two teams for the Big Twelve, I would say right now as well. I think they're in contention for a playoff spot, but we still got a lot of season to go. Conference play hasn't even begun yet. I refuse to accept this commentary that Texas is back until they can beat Oklahoma in what is perceived to be a bad year for Oklahoma. As it is, I don't even have Texas beating Kansas this week. And that's blasphemous to some people, but I also think Kansas is going to win the Big 12. So I think there's a lot to be said about that, about Jalen Daniels and his Heisman Trophy candidacy. Um, but 
I, I digress. I, I'm not talking about Kansas right now. Talk about Texas. Sark has been a proven disappointment year after year after year after coaching job after coaching job after coaching job. Um, I know he's changed his ways over the years, but doesn't change the fact that your coaching career shows that you are an abysmal disappointment when it comes to winning the big games. Quinn Ewers, somebody said something that he has been through a lot in his college coach in his college career. This man has gone to Ohio State to get around the NIL deal in Texas to make one million plus dollars in the first year of the NIL, then transferred to his home state of Texas, where he was welcomed back like a king and made well over one million dollars in the NIL. So please enlighten me again on how Quinn Ewers, a fourth year quarterback with only two years of playing experience or two years of, of, of eligibility that he's used up with over $3 million in NIL deals is been through a lot. Please, please tell me how that's been, been through a lot in college football, because that's the star- That's the narrative that they talked about the entire Alabama game about Quinn years. And I don't get it. I'll never understand it, but so be it. They think he's been through a lot, been through some tough times. No, you go to Texas, dude. You don't go to very many t- tough times. So, no, Texas is not back is my long story. That was a very long-winded version of me saying Texas is not Ooh, back. But Hard on that one. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm sorry. A dude makes $3 million in college and gets two years of eligibility is all he's used up in those three years. And it's tough times for somebody who's never not been injured, not transferred because of lack of playing time, but because he chose to transfer. He was going to be starting at, at Ohio State two years ago. He was going to be starting at Ohio State last year if he stayed. And it didn't matter to him. So the dude dude's found a way to get around his to get the NIL money for that, that he wanted. So so be it. Um gonna be a first round draft pick when he comes out just because of his arm talent. But yeah, Texas is not back yet. Beat Oklahoma, beat Kansas, win the Big Twelve, go to a playoff college football playoff, and then we can talk about you being back. But until you start checking those things off the list, we'll be here a while. Oh, was that I would I have to admit. In my opinion, I think they're the favorites for the Big 12 right now, just on paper. Even though Oklahoma has won their first two games by like 100 to 18 or something like that, they've also played SMU. So, and some, it hasn't exactly been, and I think it was Portland State or something like that out of the gate. So, we'll, we'll, de- they definitely have to win the Big 12. Well, I mean, anything like that. Kansas has won its first two games 104 to 27. Rest my case, like they, those two teams right. have had outstanding starts. I'm saying I still have Texas as the favorite right now. When you beat Alabama, the third ranked Alabama, I'm gonna put, put you as the favorite for the Big 12 right now. I guess I don't, so I guess for me, it's a little different. I don't look at Alabama. Yes, they were a third ranked team in the nation by convenience. They're a third ranked team in the nation because of Nick Saban's legacy. This team was not a third ranked team in the nation quality wise. This team is closer to a 12th to 13th ranked team in the nation, 14th ranked team in the nation at this point in time. I don't think. This Alabama team is not the same we've seen a lot the past few years. I honestly, if you, anybody listened to what I said in the, the offseason, I called that this is going to be a bad year for Alabama. I said that this is going to be a tough learning year for for Jalen Milrow. He's not prepared to do that, to do this job. He also doesn't have the skill set and receivers that they've had in the past. Their running backs have been the, the running backs that have sat to sit for a long time and then come out to play. And this happened with the TJ Yeldon season as well. It's like, a two two loss season might be what the, what's in the cards for Alabama, and that's so be it. But not a top three team in the nation skill wise long term. This so it doesn't really. Like, yeah, it's an upset on paper, but it's like, yeah, type of an upset. I don't know. It doesn't. It just doesn't feel like an upset to me. I was like, it, it's it's upsetting because I put money on Alabama, but it's not upsetting from the fact that 
uh, Alabama was a number three seed. I just, I don't, I don't see that as much of being the issue. Or ranked when you could count it that way too. It's a ranked one out of conference right out of the gate too, which is look, which is still, still a good dub that way as well too. I mean, no, get me wrong on paper. Yes, it looks good. It's just, man, it's so hard to, it's so hard to look at it as a, as a high quality win at this point in time. Well, we'll definitely see. I would, I w- we still got conference play coming up as well too in the end of the big 12, as we know it basically. So Michigan with a couple of good wins didn't cover the spread in those ones, but well, that's neither here nor there, but speaking of quality ranked wins outside of conference, Colorado picking up one in week one over TCU, which was obviously the top, the talk of the nation. And they followed up by beating the breaks off of Nebraska in the second half of that game and flexing a little bit, if you will, Colorado for real legit PAC 12 contender, or are we thinking just really good out of the gate, but it'll start to maybe mellow out. They're clearly a hundred times better than last year but maybe start to mellow out to like a top three to five team in the, in the pac 12. I mean, I think they're a favorite to win the pac 12. Yes. Um, but I don't think we know for sure yet. I think their big test comes in two weeks in Oregon. I think Nebraska was a test, but I think it was a test of their mental fortitude in this one. I think this was down to purely how mentally tough can you stay when everything is going against you? Like how, how well can you, can you battle against that? How much is, this how much how much of this overturn in this roster is actually like players coming to want to play and play and like be great? And how much was it was guys seeking the limelight? Is is was the big question in this Nebraska game? And and you saw that they're like when it came down to it, dudes rose to the top, like the cream rises to the top, as the you know saying goes. You saw that in this buff in this in this uh Nebraska game. And I think I think when they play Oregon, we'll get a real test for how they fare, how they're gonna fare in the Pac 12, because that Oregon team looks really good with Bo Nix right now. Um, but I, I mean, I think it's, it would be crazy to not consider them a favorite for the PAC 12, just with the way they're playing at this point in time, they're playing arguably better than Utah right now. Uh, and Utah is a top two, top three team in the PAC 12 predicted. I mean, they, they're predicted to play USC for the championship. Um, so that's a lot to consider there. I, I mean, obviously they're doing that without cam rising, but it doesn't matter at the end of the day. It's all about the product you have on the field. You can't manufacture a product on paper. So. Um. It, yeah, it's. It, I think. I think it'd be crazy to not think they're not, they're they're potentially favorites for the Pac-12. But I. This is a wait and see game with Colorado for me. I, I think. Once they play Oregon, I mean, so be it. I, whatever happens, happens. But realistically, I'll say this about Colorado. End of the day, this season's this team is going to the going to a bowl game. I mean, there's no question in my mind this team is a bowl bowl game capable team, and I think there's also a, a team that you know in two three years. That might be a team to be feared. I know they're going to be in a completely different conference in two to three years, but it's a team that is going to be feared in two to three years. And they're doing this with less than four months of time together. And, and that's a lot to take into, take into consideration because no team really ever does this with that, that little time together. I will say when I look at the Pac-12, it feels like clearly until proven otherwise, USC should be at the top right now as well. Too. Like they should be the yeah. favorites of the Pac-12. I think Oregon's number two right now, just the way they've played and just the, well-oiled machine they kind of look like like you mentioned utah while they're one of the favorites they expect they always seem to beat usc too like that is their that is their thing is beating usc i feel like them and colorado and are in that next tier like usc gets tier one for the back 12 oregon gets two then i think utah and colorado in that kind of tier three where they could yeah. they can match up with anyone they could beat anyone at any given moment we look at it too you mentioned they have they don't have a lot of time together which makes this more impressive and they had one win last year and at the t- talk of that turnout 
there was four people from that team that won one game last year. If that left on the roster, that is a, that is not the same team at all. Travis Hunter was the number one recruit in the nation. Shadur Sanders was also recruited by a bunch of major big, major power five schools too. Like they're not just random scrubs that came together. Like these are legit first round pick players coming out of high school that just happened to go to HBCUs before coming here. So like it's on paper, it's surprising obviously, but then when you look at the quality players, it's like, well, okay, this kind of just check out when you actually look at who those players are too. By the way, let's not forget that one of those four players, actually two of those four players that stuck around have starting roles Mm-hmm. in this team one being a safety the other being the being a running back uh and obviously we're talking about a guy who scored a touchdown and probably should have scored a second touchdown in this game in nebraska if, if his if he had gotten his hands under the ball properly um but you know that's it, it by the way if the running back i'm talking about his name is anthony hankerson um should have had two, two should have had two touchdowns in this last game but unfortunately only one uh, but yeah, and, and on the, uh, they, I mean, they play tough and you, you exactly right. I mean, Travis Hunter was the number one athlete in the nation. Like there's, you're a number one next to your name in any position. You're good. Like, and Shadur was a four star. Let's not forget uh, Dion's other son playing safety. Uh, he's also a four star prospect as well when he came out and he's a graduate transfer from Jackson state after first spending his time in the ACC with Florida state originally transferred to Jackson State when his dad took the job and now here he is at Colorado but and then on top of that they they got the number one corner in the uh the portal this last year I can't think of his name off the top of my head but he came in as well and then they got a top five corner in that you know committed to him in the offseason as well like there is no question the talent that is on this Colorado roster but I agree I think putting in that third tier I guess it's like a tier one b or c I guess to to, to Oregon and USC. It's like two like B. Like it's right below yeah. Oregon, but like oh, it's hard to not have USC at the top right now. Like it's really yeah, hard. But I think that's the same. They don't play Utah. It should be favored everywhere. There's there's a lot of questions about the defense for for Colorado, and that's that's applicable. There's also a lot of questions about the consistency of their offense, which is very applicable. Uh, I think at the end of the day, we see them in crunch time. It's it, that all those things go out of the way because right now in crunch time, this team is damn near perfect. It seems like. When they need to make plays, they're making plays. And then anybody else is it's a little meh. But I think Utah falls in that same boat where they could obviously rise to the top as well of this to this this conference and catch USC and Caleb Williams on a not great day. I mean, it's uh anything's possible. I mean, yeah, but but I think I think that that's a great place to put them where it's still, yeah, you're a com- competitor for the Pac 12, but you have to play as perfect as possible when you play those top two teams versus potentially not playing that well. And we haven't even seen them play in conference yet either. So what time will tell maybe the rest of the PAC 12 took a leap this year at Oregon state looks like it'd be pretty decent as well too. Like there's, there are some quality teams we will have to keep an eye on for sure, but definitely the Buffaloes have become the talk of the town, rightfully so. And we will only see a lot more of them moving forward, but that's going to do it here for the tip off a bit of an extended tip off here, but that's going to lead us now into Kelsey's second favorite part of every show. And that is the main event. And for the main event, we're bringing back an oldie, but a goodie. We're going back with highs and lows. In case anyone doesn't know, those that kind of originates from the name of the podcast. And just, you know, fun Easter egg in case it wasn't blatantly smack dab right in everybody's face. So right now, surprise. Right now, we're about <laughs> highs and lows. What we're high on this week and what we're low on this week. We're going to start with highs. And because we, I'll go and go first, because one of mine was mildly requested for earlier. We're going to, I'm going to go with Mike McDaniel with the Dolphins is one of my highs right now. 
not just because of that big win over the Chargers. That definitely plays a part of it. What he has done the last two years really kind of culminated in week one, I thought, as well. Tuna showed that he wasn't a one-trick pony. The one stat that I saw that really stuck out. Last year, they were among the leaders in motion before the snap, moving players around, getting everyone a running start. I think they had like one or two snaps all game against the Chargers with motion. So he showed the ability to reach into his bag and adjust not just to what other teams are doing, but to himself as well. He had two at Tyreek Hill and them throwing for 466 yards, 211 receiving yards against the defense with the most money spent on defense in the NFL, in the Chargers. Granted, the Chargers, they have their own set of issues. The money, the Brandon Staley, there's a whole no, that's a, that's a problem over there we won't get into. But that's not the Dolphins' fault. They came out there. They did what they had to do. Mike McDaniel has them. If they stay healthy, which obviously you can say that about every single team, as Jason pointed out to us earlier, you can go around the league and say the same thing. But if they do stay relatively healthy, that roster is absolutely loaded, and I think they're going to be a force, especially in the AFC East with what we saw from the Bills and that Josh Allen mess, the Jets now with the quarterback woes and the Patriots. Well, we'll see, actually. You know, you were competitive against the Eagles, so, you know, we'll see with the Patriots. But uh, I got to say, I'm very high on Mike McDaniel right now. He's shown he's not just kind of a, a goofy-looking nerd that knows a little bit of ball. He he knows football, and he's he can get down with the best when it comes to putting together offensive offensive plays and game plans. Yeah, I, I like that. Obviously, I'm a big Mike McDaniel fan to begin with. Um, I've liked Mike McDaniel since he took the – actually, since before he took the job with Miami, I thought he was a, a great interview, as, even as an OC. Um, but, yeah, I, I, yeah, for me, my first high of the week, I'm going actually to Jacksonville, I think, in the Jaguars. And I'm going to go specifically with Calvin Ridley and Trevor Lawrence. I think that combination showed its its beautiful magnificence, if you will, in this first – first week and i think it's gonna get better uh, i mean this is the first time of them playing in a competitive regular season football game together and we saw an ex- absolute just connection just at, it was it was like mental awareness between the two of them it was fantastic to see it's just gonna get better with time i do think trevor lawrence is gonna continue have a great season but i think calvin ridley is setting himself up for i've talked about potential offensive player of the year not just that but if he's eligible for the comeback player of the year we don't know if he technically qualifies because it's a suspension we don't really know how that works i think it uh, is because he was out. injured before i think they do rule it out if it's a suspension same like how d hop was ruled out for peds i think suspension's the same thing too so, so. but it, well, like he, should, he should be the comeback player of the year no matter what uh but but obviously the nfl is going to play their games on that but and no DeMar i think i think calvin that too. do what and Demar Hamlin might have something to say about that too. All he has to do is that, kind okay of- that's that's an absolute fair point i left that out because he is not technically put on the jersey yet the moment that man puts on the jersey and is is playing and yeah i don't care what happens as long as that man plays a snap during this regular season he's come back player of the year i don't care mm-hmm. um but no we're not going to get to that story yet that's that's for a later high in the year uh, but yeah no, i just think calvin really right now is is it's going to be a beautiful story to to see him come back and, and rip apart the league that kind of suspended him over Silence. i don't know yeah, for a year for being the, he's the scapegoat basically for for the betting situation. He's the unfortunate one that is the first to be punished. So, um, yeah, it's a tough situation for Calvin Ridley, but you saw week one him and Trevor Lawrence is a better place for him. So, um, yeah, Calvin Ridley's my first high. I was say he was electric, a hundred yards in that first half. They slowed down a little in the second half. They did play shaky Colts secondary, but a very game Colts team as well. And those two they connected right away. It was a very if we see Trevor Lawrence take that next step to, oh, this is this dude's Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow territory, I think it's going to be with the addition of Calvin Ridley, giving him that one guy that can just 
good. You put them one on one with anybody, you feel comfortable with it. Like it, it, it just gives them that option. You didn't really have that as much last year with Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, those guys. They're good players. You can scheme them open. They can make plays. But Calvin Ridley kind of gives you that go get me a bucket type of dude to use a basketball yeah. reference. It's like, you know what? We just need to play. Calvin, we're going to put you one-on-one on the backside. Just run an option route. Just find an open spot. Beat this guy inside. Beat him outside. Whatever you need to do. It gives them that dynamic element to their offense, which also opens up Travis Etienne, Tank Biggs, B. Evan Ingram, everyone else. So I, I agree with you. Right out of the gate, he looked like Calvin Ridley. Didn't miss a beat. Arguably was one of the best players in that draft coming out too. So I think he did miss a beat Jaguars as good as we think they're going to be most likely. So that was that was a great that's a great one for highs. For the for the highs, I'm gonna actually include part of that game as well as around the league. My highs is gonna be a very encompass one. I'm gonna go with the rookies and not just any rookies. I'm pretty much going with all of them. I'm gonna encompass the entire rookie class because they had a fantastic week one. When I look at Anthony Richardson, a really good week one as a quarterback. Zay Flowers against Houston, he had a very, very good get productive game led that led him in receiving. Excuse me. Jameer Gibbs on Thursday night, he had, what, eight forced missed tackles or something absolutely ridiculous. He's now on pace to have 100 on the season. So even in his limited action, ridiculous. Jordan Addison, 60 yards and a touchdown. Outstanding debut for him as well. Roshan Johnson with the Bears got a touchdown, got some burn, and actually helped the Bears move the ball offensively somewhat, which was nice to see after that abysmal first half of the game. You can go down the list, just keep going on. Even in the for the Chiefs, Rasheed Rice, not a first-round rookie, but a rookie receiver, scores a touchdown as well. Bijan Robinson makes three guys miss for his first NFL touchdown, the most Bijan Robinson thing ever. Just casually has to take six ankles with him on his way to the end zone for his first-ever touchdown. We, do, we can keep going on down. C.J. Stroud had, I think it was 28 completions, which is, I think, second or third most of all time for a rookie in their debut. Wasn't a pretty game necessarily, but still nonetheless. Bryce Young, a little bit of a rough day at the office with absolutely zero help across the board. No receivers were healthy. Shaky offensive line. Showed some moments there as well. Taji Spears with the Titans. Actually took carries from Derrick Henry, surprisingly enough. Was actually on. Derrick Henry played zero third downs because of how Spears was playing. There, We can go on and on. I feel like just about every rookie had a pretty good week one. There wasn't a whole lot of guys that looked like a 50-plus yard catch. Exactly. You get just looking across the board. It was a really good week one for the rookies. They they all came out ready to go. And you know, kudos to the young guys. They they were ready to play. And there's we'll see if they carry to week two if it was a little bit of week one luck, but it was just a great weekend for rookies all around, it felt like. Yeah, no, I think I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. I think the rookie this rookie class is a little different than a lot of rookie classes we've seen recently. I think this is uh the most game ready, if you will, rookie class. Uh, that we've seen. And I mean, I think they almost every year get more and more ready to play in the NFL, but I think you're really, really seeing it, uh, you know, impact both sides of the ball more this year than before. A lot of times it's been defense early on um, for, for a lot of these young rookies. Like we saw Michael Parsons, obviously explode onto the scene recently. Um, you know, both of the Bosa's when they came out as rookies, they were both exploding on the scene. Um, but yeah, offensively it usually takes some time because there's a lot of, rigmarole if you will to, to learn and, and things like that but I, I think you're right I think this is the first time we've seen a plethora of offensive rookies really step onto the scene and be ready to play and while it may not be pretty the first week it's better than we've ever expected I think it's to say, to say the least I do want to add in too before the Eagles fans yell at me yes Jalen Carter is on that list of guys that was outstanding as well too there's eight pressures as well I wasn't going to list every single yeah. rookie I just tried to make my point by listing a lot of them but I can already feel the hatred from Philadelphia so yes he had a great Keanu Benton with Pittsburgh. I can 
We can pick every team and find a rookie, and they probably had themselves a good week one, or teams that had like two or three to make up for those that didn't have a lot of rookie standouts. So it was a it was a good week for the youngsters. It was a definitely a good week for the youngsters. Even even in New York, Deontay Banks was not bad at corner as well. Like they some of the young guys did fine. The rest of it was just absolutely miserable. Yeah, the rest of the game for uh, for that that New York team was was tough. Um, so yeah, that'll take me into my second high. Uh, I'm gonna go to college football for this one. Um, I'm actually going to Florida State. I know I've talked about Jalen Daniels. I could talk about all day about Jalen Daniels, but he's only played one game. He was injured the first game of the season, so he didn't play in that one. Didn't only played in the second game for thirty plays, forty plays, something like that. Um, went 21, 29, 277, two touchdowns, 72% completion rate. No big deal. Just, you know, casual. Uh, but anyways, I'm going to talk about Florida state and Mike Norvell's team and what they're doing right now in two games. They have put up 111 points. One of those two games was against a top ranked LSU team at the time. Not, not number one, but a top 10 ranked LSU team at the time. And they're sitting at third right now in, in the rankings Florida state is, um, it's been an absolute show to watch this team. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to say again. This is not one of those cases where I'm saying Texas, is, like you know, Texas, Texas is back for the state. I'm not saying that. I'm saying this team is ready to play. And if you're on their schedule, Boston College unfortunately is on the schedule right now, but Clemson next week is a big one. Virginia Tech the week after that. Syracuse, Duke. I mean, I'm not looking forward to these next four weeks if I'm an opponent of Florida State because they're on such a high right now. It's going to take a while to get them to, go, to get to drop down. It's going to take some major play from other teams, and I don't see it this week with Boston College. I'm sorry, Boston College. I don't see it happening. Uh, but, I mean, next week with Clemson, that's going to be a very interesting matchup uh, as well. So, right now I'm high on, on what Florida State's going. I, if you guys read our read the article from Belly Up where we uh, – where you know, the, they, get, they got a group of, of uh, Belly Up personalities and writers to give their predictions. I was in that group. I gave Florida State as my prediction for the a- ACC winners. And I frankly said the simple thing. Norvell knows what he's doing. He knows how to get his players up and ready to win. More so than a lot of coaches. And he doesn't get the same credit as a lot of coaches because he didn't come from a blue blood, if you will. But what he's doing right now for Florida State is exactly what Florida State needs after years of just languishing at the bottom of this ACC. I mean, it has been tough to see such a storied franchise and sorry, storied school in, in Florida State just struggle so, so bad. Uh, and now I, I'm sure Jared's rolling over in his in his you know seat right here. He's like, oh, how dare you talk about Miami's right? Like, forget that for a second. Think about this. How great is it going to be when Miami and Florida State match up if both continue to win for right now? We're talking a t- potential top 10 matchup later on in this season between Miami and Florida State and that, how exciting that could be again. You get a matchup of that quality late in the season that means something for the ACC between two storied rivals in Miami and Florida State. How exciting would that be, right? Like, we could just hope. And so right now, this is what I'm doing. So I'm hoping. This is my high with hope into it. Like, it's a hoping high, if you will, uh, that I, I do hope that Florida State continues what they're doing and, and continues to play well, and we get that matchup later in the season because I want to see what can actually happen here with Florida State-Miami later in the season if they're both continuing on their high trends. And to just pile on top of that as well, if Jordan Travis continues playing at this level as well, and they continue winning like that, that might be a Heisman Trophy with candidacy run if they could play like that, especially – if they play a Miami team at the end of the year that's potentially ranked top 10 like that and he gets a big win over that, you already got a signature one out of the gate against LSU in which you 
comfortably outplayed Jaden Daniels as well. Another guy who was a Heisman Trophy. Well, comfortably until he decided to try to jump over his offensive line and defensive line and got smacked because of it. Well, you know what? Nobody's perfect. I mean, Hannah Montana said it best. Nobody's perfect. So, but my point is he had Wow. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, my brain hurts after that one. I thought thought I'd rub that one out of the brain. I'm not going to comment on that one, but, but as my point being a fantastic game out of the gate and honestly only upward trajectory. If he, if he meets your hopes, I think he's going to be well inversed into that Heisman trophy uh, conversation as well. He's definitely off to a good start. Maybe not quite number one in that, but I think if we made a top five right now, it'd be hard not to have him in that four or five spot. I think, yeah, if you're sitting and sitting here looking at it and trying to, trying to, trying to put your, your Heisman trophy candidates in New York already at week three, yeah, he's definitely there. I think he gets an invite at the very least. Obviously, Caleb Williams, I think, is still head and heels above everybody else right now just because of what he's doing. Um, but I think like him, Shadur Sanders right now, I think all fall in that category. Of dudes in, in contention. Um, so, yeah, I, I, we'll see what, what he can do. But, I mean, it's going to be – I don't know. It's going to be fun to see because in, in a down year for the ACC, it's, it's nice to see at least Florida State maybe not as down as the rest of them. Exactly. And they got that defense is pretty legit for them as well, too. So they're going to put a lot, they're going to give a lot of teams some hell with that defense. But we've talked about the highest of the highs. Now we got to go to some of the lowest of the lows. We got to talk about what we're low on this week. I'll go and leave this one off. I kind of alluded to it as well. I'm taking the low hanging fruit. I'm low on the New York football giants. They had it. They were supposed to be a team that we both thought could be fringe playoffs to a early wild card kind of team. Like not a necessarily a, ter- a contender team, but like a te- seven to 10 win team. We they got beat forty to nothing out of the gate. They had trouble even getting first downs. They looked lost. They looked out coached. Daniel Jones looked like he was not worth one hundred and sixty pennies. Saquon got very limited work. Darren Waller, a little bit here and there, but that that was just awful. They looked completely unprepared, unready. If that's it, either the Cowboys are that good, and we both underestimate how good they were going to be, and. Or the Giants are that bad, or it is just week one, and we should just chalk it up to week one. Either way, they got some regrouping to do. They were, they were not ready after that first drive. They were toast, and not and it was, they couldn't really respond. They couldn't even get moment. They you couldn't get momentum. You couldn't even get anything positive. Even Brian Dabble said he left Daniel Jones in there to hopefully get something positive going. You could build off of, and they couldn't even really get that. And I'm not blaming one person. Not blaming Daniel Jones. Not just blaming offensive line everyone's at fault that was that was just absolutely everybody outside of dexter lawrence really because there's only so much he could do i guess but like i'm i'm reaching at this point that that's but it's outside outside of outside of new york's kicker that's about (laughs) the only guy on that on that field on sunday on sunday that could actually say i i I did my job because he didn't do anything he didn't have anything to do the entire time except for his one kickoff and then I guess he had his kick block, but there's not a whole lot he could do about that when you let a guy walk right through and split the gap it's like what am i supposed to do i can't kick it any faster yeah, it's like I have to wait until the hold's down. Like, come on. So that exactly. I means, yeah, there's there, there's nobody in, in New York that should be having a good day to, uh, today or yesterday. God, Monday morning after that game, forget that. I don't want to be in that office. Not at all. Or Tuesday morning if you're a Jets fan. Like, it's a, you know, we're going to change mind from just the New York Giants to we're going to say New York in general. That, that That's where we're at right now. It's been a, it's been rough for them, but they, there's some work to do for the Giants. For absolutely. They got some work to do. And week two is not a must win, but it's a must show up. That's fair. Hey, I don't don't have any complaints to say to to, to disagree with you on that one. That's a pretty Again, must pretty show up situation. Finding a way to tank for a Caleb Williams and get out from a Daniel Jones contract. Yeah, that's pretty much right. Um, all right, so that'll take me into my first low. And 
I'm going to take a little different detour on this one. Go, go figure that Kelsey takes a detour on something that has very firm guidelines on it. But uh, simply put, I'm going to choose college football teams, major college football programs with undecided quarterback battles. The reason this comes up is, is Auburn. Um, now firmly announcing that their quarterback battle is wide open is what Hugh Freeze said after uh, Saturday's rough, I guess you can call it football game um against cal in 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 california uh down there in berkeley so yeah it was not a great picture they're two and oh auburn is uh but in both games it's been very much peyton thorne starting and then robbie ashford coming in and saving the day and then peyton thorne coming back in and saving robert Ash- robbie ashford later on in the game it, it, it's an undecided duo that doesn't know what to happen but i also want to talk about ohio state situation because ohio state also has a quarterback battle that finally supposedly firmed itself up with mccord taking the place but you have the entire offseason with these kids now. They shot, they come into, into camp in December or January, and they are with you the entire spring practice, summer practice, and preseason in the fall. And you can't make a decision on these quarterbacks in that amount of time? What are you expecting them to do? Pull a rabbit out of their hat every time? Like, I, I really want coaches to stop and consider this for a second how detrimental it is to your team's possibility of ever succeeding when you can't name a starting quarterback and you're supposed to be the decision maker for that team i'm specifically looking at ryan day and i'm specifically looking at hugh freeze they are the offensive coordinators of their team along with head coaches and you cannot make a decision on this on the on these guys like this could be a whole crunch time situation but i'm going to stop right here and i'm just going to leave it at that because if you are trying to lead the way and you can't make a solid decision, what do you expect your team to do in, in, in retrospect? And so my lows are every team that is reopening a quarterback battle that is still winning. I don't get it. I won't understand it. And it all goes back to your entire fall practices that you wasted. This is why this is the low. It's like you're two and zero, but it's zero and zero in rea- in reality, based off the way you're acting. Like I know there's all these hopes and dreams for great seasons for everybody, but sometimes you have to realize it's a rebuilding season as well. And you just have to accept that and make that decision that you know it's going to be rebuilding season and deal with it. Deal with the repercussions. It's part of coaching. I'll say to add on to the Ohio State too, when you have that amount of talent still on the team, you have the best receiving core in in college football, arguably still. You definitely have the best receiver. You have a a great running back room, a still good offensive line, and a better than last year defense, arguably. you got to make that decision and just stick with it. We saw it years ago when they were trying to decide between CJ Stroud and going through that, it wasn't until they locked in CJ Stroud. They went on a nice little run after that Oregon game. I think this year you got to make, you got to make that choice before the week one. They've been lucky. They've been, they've had Youngstown and Indiana out of the gate to kind of iron through it. But at this point, like it's, you got to stick with them the rest of the way you made your decision. Finally, it seems like you can't, none of this rotating. It's not, they're not pitchers. You can't have like, you can't rotate them in the, different innings like you you gotta make your decision and stick to it because you their job should be throw the ball to number 18 and if he's triple teamed throw it to him one time and then if it doesn't work then throw it to number nine because number nine is gonna be a first round pick too like you got and, and worst case scenario you hand it off to your second round running back exactly i mean Trayvon anderson was in the conversation for a heisman a couple of years ago along with cj Stroud for a while like it you got plenty of weapons you got a lot there ryan day needs to like you said he needs to stick with this decision should have made it by the indiana game if you want to give him indiana to figure it out okay a little, don't agree with that, but all right, one get the fact that it yeah. took Youngstown State and now it's we're still don't even know for sure. It's, it's, it's supposed to be made today, like literally, the decision was supposedly made today, which is Wednesday, 
going into week three and you've just beat the brakes out or well didn't beat the brakes, but you just won two straight games. You all did an alternating series in the first game week and then you stuck with McCord, but you didn't in Youngstown State after supposedly naming him the priority. I don't know. I, I'll just never understand it. So I'm going to stop there and I don't have a second low. So that's my only low for this one. I, I just had to get that off my chest because I had, I realized I had two lows that are the exact same. So I just put them both together. So DJ, what is your second low for this week? So for the second lows for me, I'm glad we were talking about coaching because I'm going to talk about coaching now, but I'm going to, I'm going to look at the NFL coach and I'm locking into the Midwest. We're going to Illinois and we're going to look at the Chicago bears coaching this last, this last game. You had an entire off season. You were not a new offensive coordinator. You were not a new coaching staff. This not, there are some new players. And I'm not going to go too deep into it because there's a lot of it. You can check Twitter, YouTube. There's a lot of people that like film much smarter film dive ins than I that I could break down in roughly eight minutes. But they can they have hour long things. There were plays where the offensive line is is run blocking, the tight end is pass blocking, the running back is running a corner route, and the receivers are are basically just standing are running screens. Yeah, there's obviously the thing with Chase Claypool. Everyone's talking about. I'm not going to get too far into that, but he might be a healthy scratch week too just due to effort is what they did not rule it out. So I won't go into that. You have routes where that they have two corners that where the receivers are lined up like this. This is the routes they run. They run identical routes and they end up two yards apart in the end zone. When you're, when you're in scoring position, the, the attention, the detail, the play calling, how many screens did Luke Getzey call like 17 screens? It felt like halfback screens, just swing screens to chase Claypool. You didn't call a tunnel screen to your newly acquired DJ Moore, who we have talked about is as good as anybody in the game with the ball in his hands. They even said it on the broadcast. Very rarely does he get tackled by the first guy. And then they took him out of the game after he got him into the red zone. He had two catches for like 40 yards, get him in the red zone, then they take him out. The play calling and game management was just awful. Fields looked, I don't want to say a shell of himself, but he looked scared to throw it, turn the ball over. It looked like it was they had basically beat into him. If your first read is not there, check it down every time. It, it, I don't... The way the plays were set up, it he missed some things. He obviously made mistakes. No one's trying to say he didn't. Like, it was as a whole was a problem. But when I look at the fact that people are running, that the players are running three different plays on the same play, it feels like like no one's on the same page. That was that's an indictment on the coaching staff. You came in here with moderate expectations against a team with low expectations. Honestly, like the, no one expects the Packers to be where they were two years ago there in Rodgers in the first year of Jordan Love, let alone the first game. And I'm pretty sure that when we were when we were doing play by play for the NAFL or whatever it was a couple of years ago, that there was more coordination on those as well. There was it was a lot better uh, game more, planning, better, better blocking at the least. Exactly, that was that was abysmal, and they got to figure it out with Tampa. Otherwise, their season might also be over in week two if they can't. Because that I don't know how what you what you do at this point if you can't have a week one game plan where everyone's at least running the same play. I'm not saying they have to work. I'm not saying you can't lose, but the fact that you have people running different plays. And people not showing effort on week one against Green Bay in Chicago. That is a that is an indictment on the offensive staff and even the head coach a little bit to a degree as well. Who when asked about DJ Moore coming out, he's like, I don't know. I don't know why they did that. It's your ship. It's your show, Captain. You don't get to say, I don't know what they're doing on the poop deck. It's not my responsibility. No, you're taking an ish on everybody when you, when you do things like that. Coaching 101, the responsibility is always yours. Every single time. And if every error know, is yours, every positive is yours, every negative is yours. You don't get to only take half of it. You get the whole show. 
I just I don't get how you can have such dysfunction on on a on some of these plays, especially when a lot of them were in scoring position as well. You left a lot of a lot on the board, so they can figure out that out. There is talent there. Maybe they could do something. We had them both as a division as a contender for the division. After that week one, if that's what we're going to see, they're going to be in contention for the Caleb Williams sweepstakes, and that kind of sucks for Justin and DJ Moore and a lot of those guys because. I still think they're talented players with a strong future, but there's only so much you can do in that case. There's only so much you could do when four, when six players are running different plays. What's that I hear? Dallas gets another top five drafted quarterback in three years when after Caleb Williams is, takes over in, in Chicago? Is that what I heard? It'll be Trey Lance and Justin Fields together? Who starts, though? I don't care. Whoever wins. <laughs> All right, Justin Fields, you were the starter in Dallas. Yeah, there you go. Hey, that's all I care about. Yeah, but you know, we'll, we'll see. You're just trying to get rid of Dak, even though they're well on their way to being 2 0 after they get done. Oh, I said five. I, I, I said five years. I mean, that's Dak's contract runs out before then. Actually, it runs out next year. So, I mean, he's already like, you know what? It runs out sooner than later. So, we'll have, we'll have to see there. But that's going to do it here for the main event the return of highs and lows. Let us know in the comment section down below what kind of highs we missed, what kind of lows we missed, and what you would what you would add in there as well, too. But that's going to take us into Kelsey's favorite part of every show. That is crunch time. Crunch time brought to you by Outlier. Go to outlier.bet backslash high low sports. Get yourself a free seven day trial. See if you can bet smarter, not harder, and win yourself a little bit of money betting on sports. I was able to get a little bit to go my way this week. Thank you. Thanks to Outlier for helping there. Maybe I can get a little bit I more. 10 out of 11 out. legs of a parlay to go my way because of Outlier. So shout out to them. That damn one leg got you, though. Those, those parlays yeah. be a little bit too big sometimes. That's 12 yards from, from Garrett Wilson. That's all I needed. Ah, pain. But anyway, into crunch time, too. Kelsey, do you have anything for crunch time you want to lay out really quickly for us? Ah, I got one more college football. Go figure. I have one more college football <laughs> thing to talk about. And that's Michigan fans. And I'm not talking about the other team in Michigan going through a lot of things. That That is its own story. Michigan fans, stop being so dramatic. And what if you don't know what I mean, I'm talking about every Michigan fan treating Jim Harbaugh's suspension, self-imposed suspension, like it's the end of the world. Yes, he bought a man a hamburger. Yes, it's stupid. But (laughs) at the end of the day, come on. He chose to be suspended for your first three games to avoid major penalties that would have came your way where he would have been suspended for the entire season, including the big one at the end of the season against Ohio State. And God forbid he was for, suspended for that. Michigan fans would never be able to live with themselves because this is the year that Michigan actually has a legitimate chance at a national championship. There is a two-headed beast in that running back crew. They are not stopping anytime soon. Your quarterback does look like a Heisman favorite. Yes, we had Drew in the chat earlier, Andrew in the chat earlier, saying J.J. for Heisman. The man looks like he could be a potential Heisman. I don't think he's going to be the one for Michigan to be the be in New York. I think it's going to be Blake Corum. But <laughs> you look at this team. It is a star-studded team from top to bottom. So please, spare us all your dramatics. There are teams going through some real ish right now. And I don't want to see another Jim Harbaugh for, you know, honorary I-formation thing to start out a game. I don't want to see any of that crap anymore. Because Jim Harbaugh chose to do this. Old khakis and cleats decided to save your team's hopes at a national championship game, despite burning my eyes with both the khakis and the cleats. I, you know what? Just take it. Take a win. It's a small win. Yes, he's not there, but he doesn't need to be there for your th- first three games. The, come on, you guys are playing scrubs. You're playing nobodies in a conference that is going to be 40 teams deep of nobodies here soon. So, like at this point in time, you're the you're, you're the odds-on favorite to win the Big Ten. 
take it for what it is, stop being so dramatic, and accept what is going to be a great season for Michigan, despite this rough start. They are not handling prosperity very well. You can tell right out of the gate. It's like, oh, no, one mild inconvenience at this point. It's it's un- it's absolutely ridiculous. They act like he was – they act like he was bouncing back from a – they act like how if he was – trying to think of how to word this. They act like he they was – basically- he was a man with cancer that yeah. was on the sideline and got better in the offseason and then is coming back – will be coming back after he gets better. That's what it's like. It's they like Jerry like Kill from, from Minnesota a few years back. Yeah, exactly. Chuck Pagano at the Colts a handful of years back as well, too, coming back. And they, they're acting like even when Brian Robinson came back from his thing last year after he shot, they're acting like it was something like that. Like it's he self-imposed three games that they should win without a coach in general. Just let JJ call the plays and pick a defense. Like you're beating it's preseason. Like this is you mad could let JJ play. like you could let JJ spin a wheel on, and land on a play and you you will win this game. Like you could come out and run fly sweeps every play and win win the first three games and you'll be successful. You could run fly sweeps and jailhouse blitzes and you're gonna be fine. It's he that it's gonna be it's that simple. Boys. Just be just draw them up in the sand with a stick right there on the spot or be like, you know what, you're getting the ball today, Blake. Go do something. I'll find a way to get you yeah. the ball. That's you could run you could run one man routes and you'll be fine. Exactly. It was a, a little bit extra. It was well beyond but I look forward to when he gets back and I I really, really, really hope that when he gets back that they – I don't want to say I want them to lose because I don't really root for losing quite like that for teams that I don't really care about. But, God, it would be funny if they just – right in his first game back, they were like in a nail-biter or something like that. Just something to get them – get the buttholes puckered up. So it's like, all right, can you stop being so dramatic now? Now this is a yeah. good reason to be dramatic. Now's the time to be dramatic. When you're when you're down by 14 going into the fourth quarter, that's the time to be dramatic. Not when you're up by 40 – Going into the fourth quarter, you're like, oh, we're going to hold up four for Jim. No, you're not. That's stupid. Stop it. And you don't need to do an opening eye formation for a game that you know you're going to be, you're going to have one by the end of the first quarter. Like the game's already going to be a wrap by the first quarter. You know, it, I digress. I agree with you on this one. Is Shigin control with the dramatics at this point? Like, is out of control? And the, at this point, it's almost who's more annoying, Ohio State or Michigan? Don't get me started. I, I could go on for that's a whole episode by itself. This is why this is why I teach you up for that one as well. Too stay tuned. Let us know below if you want to, if you want a Kelsey rant on the Ohio State Michigan Michigan. This we'll us even know. throw Alabama in there, and uh, we can go we can go throw Alabama and Texas fans in there. And I can go for days. You know we're just gonna put it. Let us know if you want a Kelsey rant on college football. We'll make a special episode for that where we I'll tee him up and we'll just let him run for it as well. So that is good. But that is a job for another day. That is going to do it here for us on the High Low Sports Podcast. We appreciate you all for joining us to talk a little bit about the return of football, both in college and the NFL. And we're not talking about spring football, so Zach don't come after us. But we will have a lot more to talk about as well too. Be sure to check out Tier Tuesdays on our YouTube page as well as on the weekends. Don't forget to check our social media pages for DJ's best bets to see if we can win a little bit of money. Last week, we split right down the middle. We'll see if we can do a little bit better this next week as well, too. But until next time, we'll see you all later. And, of course, Fantasy Fridays. Almost forgot about Fantasy Fridays this Friday as well.